BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Discover BetMGM, the betting app sports fans in the Capital Region turn to for nonstop action all winter long. Take the excitement of football, basketball, and hockey to the next level with same-game parlays, exclusive signature bets, odds boost promos, and much more. Plus, now you can sign in, place bets, and manage your cash balance under the same BetMGM account in D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. With the same username and password throughout the DMV, it's never been easier to play with the king of sportsbooks. Download the BetMGM app today. BetMGM is an authorized gaming partner of the NBA and an official sports betting partner of the NHL. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly and offer resources to help you make appropriate choices. Please gamble responsibly. BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Washington, D.C. only. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to the Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. AirPods Pro with adaptive audio automatically keeps out the sounds you don't want to hear so you can listen to your music and lowers your music to let in the sounds you do need to hear. Hi there. Hi, what can I get you? I'll have a strawberry mango coconut probiotic smoothie with wheatgrass. Anything else? Extra wheatgrass. Here you go. AirPods Pro with adaptive audio available on AirPods Pro second generation when enabled. They are Sports Illustrated. It's amazing. This incredible body of work. I really appreciate the integrity. Everything you do is well done. You guys do a great job. Uh, We love it. What can we say? He's Chris Maddox. He's employed by Sports Illustrated. The announcer's got it in for me. There you go. This is the Crossover NBA Podcast. You have a problem with it? Build a team that can beat them. Hosted by the one and only. Oh, thank God. Thank God. Chris Mannix. All right, Sarah Kustak is here. Yes Network, Fox Sports 1, Fox Sports, college football, NFL football. A lot of things going on in Sarah's world. You got an NFL game coming up, don't you? Quit I do. I'm sidelines. psyched. Now, do you feel like a fish out of water? Cam Newton, Kyle Murray. Okay. No, you know what? I um... He's naming football players' names right there. <laughs> I know. I know. We'll see what happens in week two to make it uh, exciting. Um, no, I, I mean, maybe I should. I grew I grew up on football mm. in, in the early part of my career, covered football for a long time. Um, no, I find it fascinating. I also, it's a different role, so... Um, it gives me an opportunity to look at things from a different perspective. Mm-hmm. I also, in fact, my favorite part about it, which I don't think those that hire me are always thrilled with, or, or my game producer, my favorite parts are the coaches' meetings. 
because it's interesting to see for as much as we get a taste of that in the NBA to listen to how the NFL coaches game plan strategy like the offensive coordinator defensive coordinators I am fascinated by that I, I commend you I don't think I could do it I, I couldn't like so, boxing is one but I've been doing that for a while like but if somebody asked me tomorrow it'd be like college I, I did college hockey once it was like I, I was just awful at it awful because you were did, had you ever covered no. college hot no it was totally new experience i feel like i'm back to my roots okay so this is familiar territory yes. for you doing football stuff. i mean we'll see we'll see what <laughs> we'll happens see <laughs> maybe, maybe it, it turns into train wrecks and i won't say the same thing but i enjoy it i love it all right before we begin here uh, a little announcement the crossover podcast is going on tour that's right early next month we're going to go on the road to do live shows in four NBA cities. The locations and the dates are as follows. October 2nd, we'll be at the Harp in Boston. October 3rd, at the Draft House in D.C. October 4th, yeah, we'll be at the 4040 Club inside the Barclays Center in Brooklyn. Sarah Kustak will be part of that event. And October 7th, at the Improv Theater in Philadelphia. Right now, we're lining up some terrific panels, some great guests, links to buy tickets for each show are going to be available on my social media channels on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at SI Chris Mannix. You can you will eventually be able to purchase them on SI.com and online at the venue location. There it this is. This is a big deal. I'm I am psyched. I'm ex- for you, for us, I'm, for, for the, the podcast. podcast. I mean, this I, I I feel like I'm an active part of it. So I'm a combination of excited and terrified. Like why? Because what I, are you most concerned with? That nobody shows up. No, that, that people will show. That up. you walk in like, hey, empty no. room, like, hey, no. everybody, what's going on? No, that one that won't happen. Two, if not, it, you could have like crowd noise. Like go well, Boston. I'll just stack with like all my friends from Dorchester. Yeah, and- no, people, people will come. Um, my big question to you is because throughout the years we've done this podcast. Are you going to wear like the suit? Like sometimes you're in a suit, sometimes you're in a t-shirt, oh, sometimes no. you're in, I don't know what you're in. So what, what's the attire? <laughs> so for the, the podcast audience listening now, I'm wearing my Seattle Sonics NBA Jam That's t-shirt. pretty much what I want you to This up. is what I'm going to be wearing. This is, it's very casual attire for the podcast series. Maybe I'll actually wear a different NBA Jam t-shirt in every I city I go to. you should have a theme. Based on the city I'm in. Maybe it'll be a Celtics NBA Jam t-shirt, like Bird and McHale. Maybe in Philly, you go like Barkley and, what, Hornacek? Put yeah. Put that together. Yeah. DC, Wall and Beal. We can, I don't know how much further back. I mean, Karan Butler and Gilbert Arenas. I don't know what we <laughs> want to do there. And, uh, well, Brooklyn's still new. We'll do, I, I, we'll do. You could do, but but they still, you could do like a, a, Kid Carter. You could, but I could even do Kyrie and KD there. Oh, yeah. Get new school with it all. Yeah. Right there. See, that, that's a good suggestion. I, I thought you actually... were going to say like Brooke Lopez, Joe Johnson. Well, you will be wearing the Brooke Lopez. Yours will be just Brooke Lopez on <laughs> NBA Jam. I do have a- Just uh, Brooke Lopez. I have a Splash Mountain Brooke Lopez shirt. <laughs> I have no doubt about that. Anyway. Uh, speaking of Brooke Lopez transition, uh, part of the USA basketball team that lost early on Wednesday to France in the quarterfinals. Not a huge shock. It is the first time in 58 international games that USA Basketball has lost. They will not be able to compete for a gold medal at the FIBA World Championships. We kind of saw this maybe coming, you know, when this team was put together. These are very good players. Donovan Mitchell is an elite guy. Kemba Walker's coming off an all-NBA season. 
But if you want to grade the type of team it is, it's probably the USA Basketball C team, C-plus team. And when you're going up against these international teams, they don't necessarily have the same level of talent, but they've been playing together for a long time. So I guess your reaction to the U.S. bowing out in the World Championships? Uh, I think a few of my initial thoughts on all of this one, as you started to bring up, I think sometimes people can overlook continuity and how important that is with these teams. And so many of these international teams have played together for so many years. They have talent, yes, but they also have such a great familiarity with one another um, that this, this Team USC... USA group has just been together, you know, for the course of the last few months, few weeks. And so that takes some time. With that being said, I think it was it was really a huge positive that now they've earned themselves a a spot in the Olympics. Um, so I think that's something that can be taken off the plate of, of concerns or worry or pressure or stress. So I think that was a great thing. And I think, you know, even the game with France, uh, you could look back on it and pick it apart and there was some runs and they had the lead and you go back and forth with a lot of things. More than anything, when you think about a team representing a country, you want to think about the character, the way they play. These guys played hard and they they cared. They were gritty. Were they perfect at all times? No. Could they have made some more shots at different moments? But you saw them grow together. You saw how much they cared. I think for that, there should be a lot of pride in this group. And yeah, would it have been nice if they continued to advance? Of course. But I think um, with with all being said in the way in which we saw them develop and grow together, I, I think um, you should feel good about the the performance and the effort that group put out. Yeah, I mean, look, it was a, gr- it was a good effort. And they did lose guys along the way. I mean, Kyle Kuzma having to bow out before everything started. Uh, Jason Tatum getting hurt early in the tournament. That takes another score out of the mix. It was a flawed team, though. They elected to go small uh, with this group. I mean, they had some centers. I mean, Miles Turner's a big man. Brooke Lopez, we mentioned, was there. Mason Plumley was there. Uh, but they were a smaller uh, team, and that hurt them against France. France has got Rudy Gobert, one of the right. best big men in the NBA, and he played terrific uh, in this game. Uh, they also didn't bring a lot of shooters, and that's perennially a problem for USA basketball in, in Having you know multiple guys out there that can make three point shots. Joe Harris, as you know well, can make shots, but not a lot of guys that are what you would consider reliable uh, three point shooters. And when you have the de facto star of your team like Kemba Walker, really struggle against that man to man defense that France played in this game. You just not the margin for error is just really small. Now, what, what you know, you lose, you lose, big deal. Like it, it ends a streak, you know. It's sort of end of kind of a run that USA Basketball went on beginning uh, back in the 08 uh, Olympics. But you wonder what this means for 2020. And will this inspire players, the star players, to come back and regain their status as the number one team in the world? Or is there going to be apathy for it? Now, you can certainly make the argument that the FIBA World Championships are in a terrible time. Like, the, the timing of it is just bad. You got to... You basically end the World Championships, and like a week or two later, you go into training camp. That wasn't appealing. And then, if you want to do both, the World Championships and the Olympics, you go from World Championships right into your season. If your season goes long, you're right into Olympic training. So it is like a you know a year plus of you know full tilt basketball. But I'm curious, you know, will, will guys like whether it's LeBron or Kevin Durant or not Kevin Durant? Obviously, he's going to be coming off an injury. But the top tier guys from previous Olympic cycles. Will they be inspired to play or will there be more apathy towards it? I think guys at this moment in time are prioritizing the NBA 
end their NBA season. So I think maybe some decisions, for example, with someone like LeBron may depend on how the NBA season plays out, the the postseason for him. Um if that comes into effect, how that impacts his decision. But just in general, some of those other top-tier players or maybe some of those others that were asked prior to the guys in this group, I, I think so much has to do with the timing. And we'll find out. I mean, we'll see um, when it comes down to who decides to play next summer. But I think so much of it had to do with timing, location, um, just how this would have played into them preparing for the upcoming season. And, and, and you and I, we know this, and we've, I've talked about this ad nauseum throughout the course of you know, so many discussions having about who decided to play. The NBA season is a grind. And when you're getting set and getting ready for training camp and these guys are, are getting themselves ready, for you want to be as mentally and physically um, prepared as possible. And so a, a credit to those players who... Um, as I said, went out there and played for Team USA and, and put forth a great effort and were so dedicated and engaged in it. But also I could see the flip side of some of those who decided that it wasn't in their best interest or the best interest for the NBA, their NBA team um, to play. So with all of that being said, I think the what we see as terms as is there more motivation that will come down to who plays next summer um, because the timing even though it's right after what will be the playoffs in the postseason I think there is a, a different level of push when it's coming after maybe your top priority after the NBA season after what happens with your playoff run as opposed to prior to it I think I think you'll see everybody play next summer. I really do, regardless of how a player's season ends and when it ends, for a few reasons. One, the schedule is so much more favorable. You know, the Olympic schedule is effectively August. It gives you most of September off before you head into your training camp. So there is a longer rest period, which I think is going to matter to a lot of players. The second part is, for whatever reason, for whatever reason, NBA players don't think of the world championships like they matter. It's not, there are two different mindsets about winning a gold medal at the FIBA World Championships and winning a gold medal at the Olympics. It's just as simple as that. And third, I, I think there will be a lot of guys inspired by the fact that this team bowed out early and a chance to kind of, it gives a little bit extra juice to try to go out and make that team. And Jerry Colangelo's reminded me that, you know, as recently as a year ago, Players were showing up for the minicamp saying they were going to play in 2019. Now, circumstance came in the way, injury, uh, end-of-season stuff, but I think there are going to be a lot of players that that sign on to play. So I think the U.S. team will come back with a vengeance in 2020. Yeah, and that'd be great to see. It, yeah. It'd be great to see. And I also think, you know, f- from our viewpoint or our perspective, we keep talking about what this Team USA is compiled of throughout the course of it. But this has been fun to watch. Like yeah. I, I've enjoyed it too. I've enjoyed watching, even watching France. I mean, so many of those NBA players that we know and to see how they perform. How about Argentina um, could win a gold oh, medal? How Luis is Argentina, Luis, how is Luis Scola still playing? How is can he you, still can, playing? On your NBA jam, Brooklyn Nets shirt, can you put Luis Scola? Do you remember? I, he, of course. I he remember. had a solid season there. He has He's a solid season favorites. all the time. But I have a lot of favorites, but he's up there. This is a separate conversation, but how (laughs) Argentina never capitalized on the golden generation is beyond me. Like, that team that beat the U.S. in the early part of the 20th century or 21st century, there was never another generation. Luis Skoll is still playing. Like, this team is still comprised of players that were part of that generation. Like where is the Are basketball? You saying, like, <laughs> where, wh- you know, why why no young kids yes, fell in love with? Yes. Why? 
I cannot I explain that. It's kind of the same thing with Spain too. Like Spain had that, you know, the Gasols and Rubio and like, and Rubio's still pretty young, but like there was, there's not another generation. Where, where are these, you know, isn't that what those generations are supposed to do? Inspire young kids to strap on their sneakers and go out and play basketball? I don't know. I don't know. I need to take a trip out to Argentina there next summer and find out. Pitch that. Pitch that as a story. <laughs> I've got a research project. <laughs> yeah. All right. Let's talk about the NBA here. Uh, on Monday, the Wall Street Journal magazine released a story on Kevin Durant, the Nets' newest star, is expected to miss all of next season with an Achilles injury. Durant, who is usually candid in these interviews, was candid in this one, telling the journal that sometimes he hates the NBA. He had some critiques of the Warriors' offense. He said he didn't trust anyone in Oklahoma City or with the Thunder citing the city and the team's reaction to his decision to sign with Golden State a few years ago. So I guess let's kind of break that down. The The first part of it, how he sometimes hates the NBA and the circus that comes with it. What do you make of that comment? I I think, as you know, any time throughout the course of stories like this or, or when you're spending time with a player and you're having conversations with them on the record conversations, what I appreciate most about Kevin Durant is that he speaks from the heart and he is very open and insightful about how he feels, about how he perceives things. And I, I know the way that that small sentence may sound. However, that's true. I mean, we all see see this in, in the highs and lows of the NBA and being a business and everything that surrounds it in the beauty and the greatness of the attention and how much people love it, the fandom, I mean, the way in which it's truly grown um, in terms of its popularity. Uh, but with that, there comes, you know, some challenges. And I think for a superstar and a player of Kevin Durant's caliber, that I can see and that you can relate with. And so that's why, you know, that was the sentence that was the quote that started the piece. And I think that's why it it's really hits you right out of the gates. However, I think that's understandable. And again, it, it circles back to me to just the openness of Kevin Durant of being so honest throughout the quote. And he's, he's been this way for a long time. Um, the The honest nature of which he expresses his thoughts and expresses his emotions yeah i mean first uh reaction was it made me think of adam silver's comments from a year ago how he says he comes across far too many players who feel isolated or unhappy and you know durant maybe he kind of fits that mold the other part of it was i don't know if durant was this unhappy during his time in oklahoma city i think the unhappiness and and sort of his hatred, if you want to use that word again, for the NBA and the circus that comes with it, stems from everything that happened in Golden State. And to that, I would say, he did kind of know what he was stepping into there. He knew that whatever happened in Oklahoma City, it was going to be entirely different in Golden State. In Oklahoma City, he was the homegrown talent. Remember like how what the reaction was when the Oklahoman had that headline? Was it Mr. Unreliable? Yeah. In that game, like the paper was shouted down. People were like canceling subscriptions to the paper because they were critical of Kevin Durant. In Golden State, he became like a human pincushion. Like it, anything that went wrong, it could be directed at him. It was never his team. From day one, he was the mercenary. So I would, and I he didn't sp specify this, but I would guess that his feelings toward the NBA has evolved, have evolved significantly since he left Oklahoma City and went to Golden State because he stepped into a much different type of spotlight, a much different type of circus in uh, in Golden State. Well, in 
And just trying to navigate that and deal with that, I'm sure for him. I mean, we look at so many different players and the different journey or courses that they take throughout the the course of their career um, and decisions that they are free to make. But I think the way in which everything unfolded, you, you could see how he felt that way. Because to your point, and again, I think there's different levels when you are at the superstar status. There's only a handful of players um, that are at that level of which Kevin Durant is at. Um, but it was game by game. I mean, to your point, a daily thing and a daily watch of of how things were progressing, the acclimation with Golden State, the acclimation with the team. Um and that's that's a lot to try and bear. That's a that was a a big burden to have to carry over. When also when you look at a player like Kevin Durant, and, and many you hear talk about this in their minds, they just want to play basketball. Like they just want to show they they want to show up and get to the practice gym and play. They just want to play games. Um, they just want to continue to try and refine their craft. And there's a whole nother. Again, this goes along with the popularity of the NBA and the way it's grown, but a, a whole nother fishbowl of which you are in that every single move and everything that's happened is scrutinized at such a high level. Um, and so I do think that develops. And I do think it, I do think we could look at this with, with our own professional lives or in any capacity. I think the course of all that may change. The course of all, I think there was also, and, and we may be getting to this, in his comments about Oklahoma City or how he felt, I, I thought it was very interesting when he noted to his return there and not just being about the the fans and the way in which he, he was treated by fans, but the equipment manager and the trainers and those, I think he pointed at the front office. So just if, if he felt a certain way about um, his treatment by the organization itself, and I think that's a whole nother layer when it's those who you believe are inside your family structure, inside um, who you've spent so much time with. I mean, look, the Oklahoma City stuff, going back to Oklahoma, you knew what was coming. I was at that game, his return, and it was it was hostile. I don't think it was as bad as LeBron's return to Cleveland in 2010. That, to me, is was like the, the gold standard yeah. for animosity uh, felt by a fan base. But it was a hostile environment there were fat heads of them of them out there and a lot of chance or whatever I, you know there was the comment that or the the anecdote in the story that his mom told that you know she got upset about a picture or a video of a oklahoman or an oklahoma city fan shooting bullets through his jersey well, i mean it's oklahoma like it's you know some places set fire to stuff in the oklahoma you shoot stuff like that's just kind of the way it is i don't I think that might be a bit of an overreaction to be so concerned about how the fans react. That's just how fans react. If you, I mean, especially a team that, you know, just like Cleveland when LeBron left the first time, like they were on the cusp. Like, remember that Oklahoma City team a few years ago? They were up 3 2 on Golden State. They thought they were better than Golden State. They could, they believed that if Kevin Durant came back, they were going to the finals. Without him, they knew what happened. They were going to have to go through some type of rebuilding process. Now, the organization stuff, if he was seeing. Equipment managers and trainers, like, cold shoulder, and that's a little dumb. Like, I don't, like, not on his part, I'm saying, like, well, the equipment managers right. and the trainers. Like, right. what, what are you doing? Like, right. you're a professional. You know, this guy's still the same guy. Like, you're not, you can't be too pissed off that he left. Um, the organization, I thought, you know, publicly and privately, they've been very supportive of him. Like, God, they've never criticized him publicly. They've never said anything. Now, it was a little bit shady, I thought, that, you know, 
you gave PJ Dozier his jersey a couple of years back. Yeah. You know, like, like, I mean, that <laughs> that to me is a little like you're eventually going to retire that number. Yeah. What are you doing giving it to PJ Dozier? You know, in the season after, I don't really understand all that. But yeah, I I just have mixed feelings about his feelings towards Oklahoma City. The fans got to expect it. The trainers and equipment staff, if they were giving him the cold shoulder, that's ridiculous. They shouldn't be doing that. The organization, if if he knows something more than what we know publicly and talking to people within the organization. All right. But from everything I know, I think they've handled that in a pretty classy manner. Yeah. I, I just, I think it continues. I, when I look at all these situations, I keep circling back to why should it matter our feelings about this? You know, this is, this is his life. This is his career. This is the decisions he gets to make. As a player, he was a free agent who decided to go somewhere else with his life. And as we know, it's not just about, which is a major factor and a major part, and you think about all that he did for that community and for that city, but it's not just about the organization or where you're playing. Or where, Sometimes you need life changes. Sometimes you want to play with different people. Sometimes who, and it, and it doesn't necessarily have to reflect poorly about the place you're at or how you feel. Sometimes you need changes throughout the course of your life and your growth to grow. Um, so that's why I, I understand with the big picture of going to the team that you felt like you could have beat in the playoffs, going to the rival, going to the team that beat you, all of these things um, from a fan's perspective. But at the end of the day, th- this is his own career and this is his life. It's not just a career. It's not just a you're a basketball player on a video game. This is your life and what you're doing on a daily basis. So um, that's why e- even from the time that all happened, it's still he should he should have the agency to be able to do what ever he wants um, without opinions from the outside having to influence that. What do you think of his criticisms of the Warriors' offense? Um, what he was effectively saying was when you get to the conference finals, you know, you've got to be doing a little bit more because teams are smarter and they're locked in on you. All that being said, in the last three years, Golden State's at the number one offense in the NBA during the regular season. In the playoffs, every year but one, they had the number one offense in the postseason. That year, they had the second best offense uh in the uh in the playoffs so it it's hard to look at the numbers and say that uh there were any issues with that offense and you know to be fair the offense was great when it had harrison barnes in that kevin durant spot they won 73 games uh with that team and you know when kevin durant came in they allowed him to be more of an isolation player like they created a different type of offense so that his talents could kind of flourish. What did you make of those? Uh, that part that of was one of the more interesting comments I found throughout the course of the article um, because that spoke to a lot. I, I believe it was not this past postseason, but the prior one where there was a lot of discussion about that and, and um, just how the way in which Golden State balanced the idea of allowing him um, to be in more isolation mode or allowing him um, to be a little bit more ball dominant than their offense typically was given the fact of his talents and in what he's able to do and his efficiency with the ball in his hands and how he could score. But, but that um, I found 
to be really interesting for, for as much as, um, you know, Steve Kerr, people are very open about to, like, I would I would be fascinated to hear what Steve Kerr would think about that or response to that or just um, the idea that, you know, when you get later in the postseason that that offense maybe wouldn't be as effective given what they've done throughout the course of, you know, the last five, five, six years. So, um, that I found they, to be more interesting. Played, they have played with fire a little bit in the playoffs. I mean, you look at, uh, what was it, two years ago against Cleveland, or was it Kyrie's last year in Cleveland? Or was that two years ago? When they won it, what did they win? 4-1 in that series, but there were a lot of oh, close games. Three. Yeah. Like, they're the early ones. I mean, Durant pulled their fat out of the fire. Was it game three and or that's game four? Like, and, and, and that's, like, and that's, to me, in my mind, that's almost reminiscent of what he may be, t- like, the things that he's talking about of where he needed to go off mm-hmm. and, um, you know, have those big games and, and really take over the game and get away from some of that motion offense. So I, that's where I think it's interesting. And that's where I would like to, after reading that, I'm like, gosh, I'd like to go back and watch some of that film or watch some of those games or dive deeper into the numbers mm-hmm. of those games because that is an aspect. I also think with Cleveland, too, that was a different scenario given how many times they matched up. In the fi- or how much, because I think also in that quote, he alluded to the fact of teams that know... T- teams can better combat what you're doing and they know what you're doing. Like also how much is that playing to the fact of you're meeting the same opponent who's gotten used to you, scouted you that much, which I guess you could say in the early rounds. Um, but that there's just different ways to kind of um, match up and strategize. So I, I've, I, that is what I was most interested in and would be more interested not only hear what his thoughts are on it, but just the team or Golden State or just how they feel about the nature of that and how they felt throughout the course of, of some of those later rounds in the playoffs and if that felt in any way um, – had some truth to it in in how they perceive things. It's interesting to hear him say that too, because in Oklahoma City, it was very much kind of your turn, my turn with, with Russell Russ. Westbrook, where yeah. there was enormous pressure on him, like not just in the third round of the playoffs, but every single game. Like if he had a bad game, chances are the Thunder were going to lose. It just wasn't much as much margin for error. This was more of a free flowing system they had in Golden State. I wonder, and maybe you can answer this, how. He, what he thinks of the Nets offense and the way Kenny Atkinson plays. Because it, I don't know if it'll be your turn, my turn with Kyrie Irving, but those are two ball-dominant type of players that are more in the mold of Durant and Westbrook than they are what Durant had in Golden State. Well, and that's where I, I'm um, curious to see the progression of this because obviously with um, Durant not being there this season or at least for the better part of the early part of the season, all, all the deep dive into um, when his return may be, but for for the purposes of now Durant doesn't play this year let's say how do they what does their offense look like I assume it'd be very similar to what we saw last year um the amount of pick and rolls that D'Angelo Russell ran I can see the same thing going on with Kyrie Irving and just um the type of pieces they have a, a whole lot of similarities um so what is the progression of that acclimation of Kyrie Irving some of these new pieces and then how does that change um when Kevin then comes into play because whoever is in that four spot is going to be used drastically different than how you would use a player like Kevin Durant so it, it, that I think is going to be interesting um and and I do though I think to to that point those comments that he had about knowing it was as simple from the inside as the outside to the decision to join the Brooklyn Nets that he felt like it was a fit he believed and trusted the the front office the moves they made um the young core that they had wanting to be in New York and in Brooklyn um 
but it, I, I, obviously, as he said, he said it didn't need a PowerPoint. Um, so it, it seems that those discussions of what things will look like, how he'll be utilized, the um, just the the agency that he'll have throughout the course of that, I, I believe it'll be a work in progress. But obviously, he has a lot of trust because that wasn't something necessarily that he needed checked off, a box checked off before he agreed to come there. A problem for another year, 2020-ish. Are we already in the 20s? Yes, yes. Time flies when you have no life. Um, (laughs) Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City Featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Discover BetMGM, the betting app sports fans in the Capital Region turn to for nonstop action all winter long. Take the excitement of football, basketball, and hockey to the next level with same-game parlays, exclusive signature bets, odds boost promos, and much more. Plus, now you can sign in, place bets, and manage your cash balance under the same BetMGM account in D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. With the same username and password throughout the DMV, it's never been easier to play with the king of sportsbooks. Download the BetMGM app today. BetMGM is an authorized gaming partner of the NBA and an official sports betting partner of the NHL. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly and offer resources to help you make appropriate choices. Please gamble responsibly. BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Washington, D.C. only. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Let's talk about what's going on with Andre Iguodala in Memphis. In July, as we know, Iguodala was traded from Golden State to Memphis in what amounted to a salary dump. The Grizzlies got a first-round pick in 2024 for taking on Iggy's contract. Now, Iguodala apparently wants out. The Grizzlies, of course, in the very early stages of a rebuild, are not complying. According to The Athletic, the Grizz have no intention of buying out Iguodala. Instead, 
will bring him to training camp, presumably until a trade offer materializes. Sarah, what do you make of Memphis's decision here? I first have a question for you um, in the specifics of all of this, which are, are things that when when this was all taking place, when Golden State was was discussing this with whether it was with Iggy to begin with, with Memphis to begin with, do you believe is when this all unfolds and in the process is going on, is there a conversation of because this all because the Dwight Howard situation they traded for Dwight Howard, I think it was a few days before that, shortly after that, so it, that went along the same process of what I believe was expected of Andre Iguodala that okay we'll bring him on, buy him out. Do you think there was some type of of understanding amongst parties that that was a situation that was going to occur? Is that a conversation that even takes place? How does that how does that all happen? No, I don't think there was an understanding between Iguodala and the Grizzlies when the deal happened. My understanding early on was that Iguodala didn't even know he I think he knew he was getting traded because of right. the circumstance but didn't know it was going to be Memphis. Now, the Howard situation is different because there's no market in a trade for Dwight Howard. Right. Like, he's coming off an, in, an injury plague seasoned, and he's Dwight Howard. Like, they're just... You look at what the Lakers gave right. him in a contract. Iguodala is valuable. The second Iguodala hits the well, free agent market, there's going to be yeah. several contenders. And there was even it. reports that the, the Grizzlies were exploring the trade market when they first brought him on. Um, I, I, don't, I don't know where I stand with this, because obviously from the side of Andre Iguodala... A, a guy who's likely in the last year of his career, um, just the resume that he has, the understanding, of course, that he wants to play for a contender in doing so. And then we've heard of all the different teams and possibilities and landing spots he um, would like to be at that in, in accord want him to be there. Um, it, it's tough. It's tough to think that he's going to have to show up at a training camp with Memphis in a place that really has no postseason aspirations. Um, they're a young rebuilding team. So, you know, from certainly the short end of the stick for Iguodala of of having to do that, and you could see why he wouldn't want to do that. And I think on the Memphis side of things, would they like to get something out of it? Of course, you could see the reasoning behind it. However, I look at it in some ways of if, if you're an organization that's starting from the ground up, you're trying to rebuild – you could see whatever vet, if they want a first round, you know, pick attached to, they already got one, but if they want one attached to a trade. Um, in some capacity, though, I think, do you think about building goodwill for the organization? Do you think about being a place that, you know, I don't want to say you have to be player friendly, but that does right by players, does right by player. I mean, Iguodala is the, what is he, the vice president of the the. NBPA. I mean, he's a guy who's one of the most well-respected in the league. Is there a certain extent of which you feel some type of of give back in order to build that goodwill for your organization? And I'm not sure if you think about, oh, it will be a good veteran presence for some of these young players. There's no guarantee. I, I don't think he's going to not you know, who knows with him talking about showing up or not showing up for training camp. Um, but, but just because you, he's always been a great veteran and a great leader doesn't mean if if this is not the place he wants to be, this wasn't the expectation for how he's going to continue the last year of his career. You don't know that he's necessarily going to be there mentoring all of your young players for those purposes. I mean, look, as far as the goodwill that 
Memphis could generate by acquiescing to Iguodala, to hell with that. Like, forget that. Like, it's don't to you me, wa- it's malpractice if they just if unless Iguodala says to them, "I'll give back every nickel of the I think it's seventeen million he's due this year." You hold on to him. You hold on to him, and you wait for these contenders out there to realize that you're not screwing around. Because when do you think that would happen, though? Uh, maybe it's midseason. Maybe it's for the deadline. Maybe if you get past the deadline, then you know your bluff has been called. Then maybe you buy him out. But until then, first of all, it's a lot of money. Like you're going to give him like 14 million dollars to not play for you. I know we think about the NBA payroll in abstracts, but that's real money. You just handing a guy to not play for you. Second. The NBA, as you know, more wide open this year than it's ever been in decades, maybe. Right. So there are a lot of teams that are waking up on the first day of training camp thinking they can win a championship this year. Iguodala, even at 36, can be a difference maker on those teams. Oh, for sure. He's got championship experience. He can still defend at a high level, occasionally make shots, be a playmaker for you in a pinch. There's value there. So, again, unless he's saying, take it all back, you could every nickel. The buyout is $1. That's all you have to give me. $1, and I'm going to walk away. You do it, because there will be a team, I think, that'll give you something in exchange. Maybe it's not a first-round pick, but maybe it's like a young player. Maybe it's something that you get back, which is better than nothing. That I, it's a fair argument. It's a fair argument, and I see your You're point. the sentimental type. I, ju- I am. I am. I think for... I, Andre Godala's sake, I also, I th- I think there, I'm one, the sentimental type. I, too, think there's some value um, in making sure that you are an organization that, it, for a place like, um, I shouldn't say, but Memphis is not always a, a uh, one of the top free agent destinations. We'll put it that way. Yeah, but I think so, it's never been. <laughs> so for agent. a place that, that wants to build as an organization and build in ways... I think there is value to doing right by a player that has put together the the career that a guy like Andrew Andre Iguodala has. I think there's something to be said for that, and something to be said for doing right by the player. But, but I see your. But I think it's just it's it's looking at both sides. Like you could see you could see both sides. Look, Andre Iguodala at some point is going to get to finish the season on another team. I, I don't believe that if we get past the trade deadline, Memphis will hold on to hold on to. If for no other reason than like. Iguodala might help you win. At that point, Memphis is probably going to be trying to lose like because right. they're just so young and they're going to be so bad. But until then, close your eyes and think of England when it comes to Andre Iguodala. Like, just play through. Have we been at a situation where a guy has not shown up for training camp? We must have. I'm blanking right now on on that. But I'm not sure that Iguodala would do that because he wound up getting fined and lose the money anyway. And I look, I know it has the potential to be a circus for the Grizzlies, but... I think there's too much value to be gained by holding on to him and trading him to somebody because whether it's Houston or any of the Eastern Conference teams, a whole bunch of Western Conference teams, somebody out there is going to want Andre Iguodala. Somebody out there is going to say, maybe it's like mid-December, that mid-December date when players signed in the office right. and get traded, when things kind of open up a little bit. Maybe it's then that you can make a deal for him there, but I don't think they should let him go. I, I understand why he wants to go. I totally get that, but... He's getting paid. The contract is the contract. And if Memphis think they can get more value, whether it's a pick or a young player, I can get a hold on to him.
two sides of that coin right there. I'm with. Okay. All right, let's talk about one of your boys there. Joe Johnson, fresh off an MVP season in the Big Joe Three. Jesus. There you go, former <laughs> net. Uh, Johnson could be in line for another crack in the NBA. Johnson, who last played in the league with Houston in 2018, has been working out for teams, including Detroit, which I'm told is very interested in Joe Johnson. Sarah, Johnson played 23 games in his last season, averaging six points. He was great in the Big Three. But at 38, can he help an NBA team? I believe he can help an NBA team. I also think it's a little bit deceiving talking about his last season um, and his averages, just given how he was utilized in Houston. Uh, and so I think in some ways, especially Joe, at his age, we talk about his age, but he has always been so diligent in taking care of his body and taking the steps of whether um, he was doing hot yoga or his diet or how he's eating. All of those things, I think the the numbers of his last season were more product of, of what Houston was trying to do, how they were trying to run their offense. And, and so I think that's one factor to it. Um, and Joe, is he, he could be a great, to me, a great just score off the bench. Like you think about your second unit, someone coming in and being able to just give you buckets. He's also, I mean, in covering him in Brooklyn, but just you ask anyone that has been a teammate of his, he's one of the the great teammates and great guys. And I think he too is is a player that just wants to keep hooping. He that's why he played in the big three. That's why he's he's just kind of went through the phases of whatever role he's gonna take on a team. Um, I don't think he will give you any issue with that. So, for example, we talk about Detroit. Um, I know he's a, he, they're a team he's worked out for. Um, he used to be ep- represented by Arn Tellum. Um, but he th- they don't have a ton of scores off the bench. I mean, you look at, okay, who's their second unit? Um, so I think he's a guy who can come in and give you that. And I also think he'll be a great add to the locker room. I think he's a good veteran presence. Um, and so for that, from those respects, I think, yeah, absolutely. He can, are you getting a ton from Joe Johnson? No. But are you getting a solid add to your roster if you have availability? Yeah. I was talking to someone that coached Joe recently last night, and one of the things he said was that the key is, you know, where do you put him defensively? That's the biggest issue. And he can't defend twos. He can't defend threes really anymore. You basically have to make him an undersized four right. in, in a spot duty. And I guess in today's NBA, where lineups have become more creative and small balls in vogue, you could potentially do that, but probably no more than 10 to 15 minutes every single game. And that's something, you know, playing four is something that I was told Joe was not really keen on in the past, you know, being kind of put in that type of position. But if he wants to get back in the NBA, that's probably going to be where he's going to line up because you can't have him scoring on one end and giving up twice as many on the other end. That's right. A and to that point, I'll say that, and, and you're correct on that. I would say even his last season and a half or so, maybe two years in Brooklyn, um, he he did play some four, and he was starting to move in that direction of playing the four as as the game had changed and, and obviously lineups had gotten smaller. And I don't think he loved it, and he would joke about it, or he'd joke about just the wear and tear on your body, um, banging on guys that are so much bigger. I mean, he's he's... I think in terms of body width and physicality, he's he's got that. I mean, he's about six seven or so. Um, but I do think the way lineups have been manipulated and changed. And again, this isn't a guy that you're talking about. Oh, can he can he fit into our starting lineup? Oh, can he give us 25 minutes a game? If he's coming in and giving you a solid. 
12 to 17, 18 minutes a game and able to do so in that position. I also think he's at the point where, and we see this with a lot of players, did, did he used to love playing the four a few years ago or back when he felt like he could still hang with three? Probably not. However, if this is what it's going to take for him to be back on a roster and be back in the league, I think he, he's someone who would be all for He's someone who very much is, okay, whatever the team needs, I'm willing to do. And I that's why I think it would be a fit. What a huge boost for the big three oh, if Johnson can no get back at the NBA. No kidding. All of a sudden, not only does it become kind of a way for guys to keep playing, it becomes sort of a feeder system for older guys to get back in. I mean, the first thing I thought of was Carmelo. And I don't know if Carmelo winds up on a roster at this point. It's looking challenging, to say the least. But if he goes through an entire season and still wants to play, he could sign up for the big three and maybe show some teams he can still score, show some teams he's still in shape, show some teams that he can be, uh, uh, he's just dedicated to the game, that uh, he could be the next guy to join that. Because, you know, Johnson, I, I don't, if Johnson didn't play in the big three, he wouldn't be stiff in the NBA right now. No, because people are thinking about the last yep. the last season he had and the lack of playing and the lack of playing in the postseason. I will say, regardless of what happens with Joe, I still think it was a huge boost for mm-hmm. the big three. Just even the dialogue, the talk, how much we have mentioned that. I think there were even more eyes on it because Joe Johnson was a player who most who was so recently in the league and in a big name coming from it. So yeah, but that 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 would be big time. Yeah, Joe Johnson. I mean, he could play in the big three till he's 50. Like, his game is conducive to the yeah. half-court isolate. It's iso ball. Like, that's all it is. That's yes. what he does. <laughs> Incredible. All right, let me finish with DeMarcus Cousins. Uh, DeMarcus Cousins tore his ACL last month, and in all likelihood, it's going to be lost for the entire season for the Lakers. They went out and replaced him with Dwight Howard. This, of course, the third significant injury for Cousins in the last three years, making a bad situation worse. Cousins was recorded threatening his ex-girlfriend, a threat that led to Alabama issuing an arrest warrant for misdemeanor domestic assaults. It was two summers ago that we were talking about Cousins as a max contract player. There was virtually no interest in him this past offseason, and next summer he'll turn 30 and have a lot of baggage attached to him. Is it possible that we've seen the last of DeMarcus Cousins in the NBA? It's hard to even think that, given the fact of, as you mentioned, we were talking about him and a max deal two years ago, I was going back through through his numbers and just through the course of those five, six, seven seasons um, towards the end of Sacramento and in New Orleans. And just the you remembered him putting up monster numbers, but how he was scoring, the way he was rebounding, how effective he had started to become from the three-point line. Um, so it's it's so tough to think about a player that had that much upside and that much potential when he was 25, 26, 27. Now we could be talking about is he going to even make his way back to the league? Um, but these are these are not small injuries. I mean, think about the fact you got your Achilles. Was it the quad? And then now the ACL. I mean that that is the all trifecta s- of yeah, bad leg injuries. I, brutal, brutal. Um, so to be coming back from that in your 30s and and obviously some of the questions about the off the court stuff um, questions at times that you had about him in the locker room I, I think you put all of that in its totality do I think that we'll see him again yeah do I think that at some point some team once he's healthy again and playing the big three showing off showing off his skills uh, but no but do I think a team may give him another chance? I hope so. But also, I, I never anticipated we'd be 
for so long talking about will Carmelo Anthony get another chance in the league. So there's so many play. I mean, it's it, it's amazing uh, as it always is with this league, but it's amazing how much timing. Uh, plays a role in things, how much what a team needs, what needs a team has, roster spots open, available, how that all factors in. And so in when DeMarcus Cousins is healthy, when he's back, when is he going to be able to show that he's getting back, start to play? um, Where does that fall in the course of a season? You know, because if depending on the calendar of the year and depending on when it seems like he is ready to hit the floor running and being back and playing five on five and script depending on when that is in a year um could play a role in when a team may be able to pick him up or needs them or doesn't need someone and if another season then goes by who know i mean it, it it's for better or worse um you know, things happen quickly and younger players develop. And all of a sudden you you look at someone who has a potential um, injury riddled last few years, as opposed to a younger guy with some upside. And that's where it becomes tough decisions for organizations. But do I hope we see him again? Yeah, of course you hope that. But, um, but I think it's a real possibility that we potentially have seen the last of him in the league. Well, the game is going away from players like him has been for a while. He was able to kind of stay above that fray because of his incredible talents and because he did start to adapt as well, becoming more of a three-point shooter. But, you know, he's going to need, I think, an advocate on a team next summer. Like, he had Anthony Davis on this Lakers team who liked playing with DeMarcus Cousins in New Orleans and had no interest in playing center. So you bring DeMarcus in and he is kind of the an ideal fit there. He's going to need something similar, I think, next year because all the baggage is starting to get up. Now, I have some sort of a side note. I have some mixed feelings on what happened recently with him and the ex-girlfriend. And I'm curious to get your take on it. I mean, what he said in that recorded interview was reprehensible, full stop. Like, you can't say stuff like that. He was also set up a good on that one. I mean, he, you know, He's asking to bring his son to his wedding, and it's being recorded, and she's baiting him a little bit, and all of a sudden it's on TMZ. Like, he was was set up there. I, I think what he said was awful. What she did, I think, was equally bad in, in kind of setting him up. I don't know all the details about their relationship, but I hated that. I, I'm not sure I would hold that against him as much as some of the other stuff that he has kind of going for him and going against him. And I don't think – I don't think it – I think it, any form of – Domestic violence is wrong. I think everything should be handled equally fairly um, with a zero tolerance policy. However, I don't I think when it comes to it and once he's healthy a year from now and teams or whenever it may be teams looking at potentially could he be an add to their roster? I to your point. I don't think that's going to weigh as heavily as other factors. I don't think that's going to weigh as heavily as what will his character be and his willingness to buy into the big picture of a team be, his production on the floor, how he fits in terms positionally um, and production-wise. I think all those things, um, health concerns, I think all those things probably will be just as big if not bigger factors in okay is this a guy that we want to give an opportunity to on our team he did i mean it is interesting he hit the market healthy this past summer like he (sighs) came back from the injury yeah he was a pretty good soldier i guess in golden state and he wound up getting a contract that was less than the crappy contract he signed for that one year in golden state he got about five million bucks 
Last year, this one was about three. I, I just don't. I don't know what the market's. I don't know. I can't think of a team right now that that goes and gets him. Now things certainly change, and maybe an injury happens, things open up, but it's going to be hard. And we don't even know how he comes back. From well, and that, and to me, that's the question because with all uh, that, and that's what I mean by these injuries. These are not small injuries. These aren't a a broken bone or a sprain or something that's happening to your upper body. These are serious, serious injuries taking place um, with your lower body. So that. I think that will factor in just as much. And to your point, he just what turned twenty nine. He'll be yep. thirty next year. Um, that will factor in just as much. Thirty. I remember thirty. Good year. Oh, was it? That's I hope my thirty is. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Now we're talking. Now we're talking. Uh, Sarah, we will continue this conversation October fourth. I can't wait. Forty Forty Club at the Barclays Center. Stay tuned for ticket information for that. Be. Uh, I'm not. For the record, I like none of these venues are big. I'm trying to keep it as a small, kind of intimate esque uh, setting. Uh, the Harp in Boston is small. The Forty Forty Club will be relatively small. Uh, Improv Theater in Philly small, and uh, the Draft House in DC are small. But I'll invite all my friends. Yes, to ours. Make that happen. Yeah, that's what. That's why I bring people into the panel. All three. <laughs> all three that are just, listening. We're just so sad. Uh, Sarah, as always, thanks for joining me. Thanks, Mannix. infinity presents a new chapter in luxury the premiere of the all-new 2025 infinity qx80 live march 20th from the edge at hudson yards in new york city featuring a performance by john batiste the all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. There's plenty to celebrate in March and ex- Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free. As someone who lives for politics, when a major scandal unfolds, it was shocking. I have to know what were they thinking? Backroom deals. Huge amounts of money. CIA secrets. Sets off a firestorm in Washington. Affairs. No way this guy's got a mistress. Corruption. I knew I was a dead man. Warning, it's even messier than you thought. United States of Scandal with Jake Tapper, Sunday at 9 on CNN.